Well, the notion of friendship itself is one that can be quite broad. Uh, Oftentimes, we might even be able to say the notion of friendship is something that can be fairly hollow. Um, In our contemporary culture, we know that friendship can be reduced to something as trivial as as social media followers and those who might like and share our posts. Uh, One author commenting on this more superficial notion of friendship, he made this statement. He said, we've stretched out the word friend, making it broad but shallow, like a rubber band stretched too far too long. The term friend is no longer strong enough to hold our closest companions. Friendship should be more like a submarine, holding few and going deep. But we've made it more like a cruise ship filled with lots of nice people whom we don't really know well at all. We can identify with that. It's, it's one thing to know a lot of people and have a lot of connections and be able to smile across the room at, at various individuals, maybe even grab an occasional lunch together. Um, It's one thing to do that, but it's really something else entirely to be friends, at least friends in the full biblical sense of friendship as the Lord has designed it. And as we come to these few verses in 1 Samuel, it's it's, it's this more deep and meaningful kind of friendship that we're able to consider in these texts because Jonathan and David don't have a friendship that would be marked merely by convenience. They certainly don't have a friendship that reflects any level of, of shallow connection. Instead, David and Jonathan uh, are friends and share a commitment to one another that transcends boundaries of of anything that would resemble a kind of mere convenience or accessibility uh, because what we see is they have a friendship that's grounded in a commitment to the Lord Himself. And in that commitment to the Lord, they commit themselves to one another. And so as we think through their own display of friendship, we can very much be encouraged in our own. Uh, because we, we can have the question in our minds, what does it look like to be a friend? What, what does it look like to engage with people in meaningful ways? What does it look like to be helped by a friend? And what kind of expectations can we have along these sorts of lines? And, and this passage comes to us uh, with full and, and really robust and life-giving answers uh, to those sorts of questions. And one of the reasons these verses are so helpful is that they're not giving us this truth about friendship in a cold and clinical kind of way. It's not like we're hearing a a TED talk on being a committed companion when we come to a passage like this. There's nothing uh, clinical and cold about the friendship theme as it's unpacked here because we have friendship played out in the very real circumstances of the wilderness. Uh, So we know in this particular context, David is in the wilderness on the run from Saul when Jonathan comes to visit him. So things are dark for David. This isn't uh, just mere normal circumstances that David is experiencing right now. Instead, uh, things are very difficult for him. In fact, we heard this in the reading this morning where David is betrayed by people who should have supported him. So the first half of chapter uh, 23 uh, focuses on, on David saving the people of Keilah, but ultimately they'll betray him to Saul if they get the chance. The last half of this chapter is this group of folks called the Ziphites in Israel, and they're ready to betray David over to Saul. So David is surrounded by betrayal. And not only that, but we read that the people who are actually closest to David, we see this in verse 3, the people who are closest to him are afraid themselves, and, and, and for good reason. They know Saul is out to get them, but David's surrounded by betrayers. He's, he's closest to people who are afraid. And then in verse 15, we read how David is renewed in his own awareness that Saul is out to kill him. Remember how we talked about the emphasis of the Hebrew in, in verse 15 last week where they moved the verb saw out front, which is a way of emphasizing things. So saw David, that Saul was out to get him. He's renewed in this awareness of the danger that he's, that he's in. 
And then it's in the crucible of this, this very tumultuous situation that Jonathan rises and goes to David. It's, it's friendship in the wilderness. And so as we reflect on friendship, we see that this isn't just a, a description of how it is to, to be a nice companion, to make sure you're caring for others, something like that. But we actually see this friendship between David and Jonathan worked out, worked out in, the, in the crucible of, of the wilderness, in these very difficult circumstances uh, that ultimately reveal uh, what their friendship is really made of. And so we have this, this picture of friendship in the wilderness. And, and maybe you can identify with this kind of friendship. Maybe you've experienced the, the close and costly care of someone uh, during difficult times. Maybe you yourself have extended this kind of companionship. Uh, we're not too long in life before we need both of those things. We need to exercise friendship and we need to be the recipients of this kind of friendship. Uh, but whatever our own experiences may be, we can be encouraged in, in, in uh, the subject along these lines this week because ultimately, uh, no matter what we do or what others may do for us, while, while we can even feel that in the expression of friendship we're lacking, what we ultimately discover in a passage like this is that it's directing us to a much more climactic friendship that the Lord Jesus Himself exercises toward us, and He does so in an unfailing way. And, and so we, we can be encouraged in this text, not only in our own expressions of friendship, uh, but in the ultimacy of what Jesus uh, comes to provide for us. And so as we get into the text here, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start thinking through the third of five words that can give us hooks to hang our thinking on as we work through the passage. Last week, I, I mentioned the first two. So we spent some time talking about how friendship in the wilderness is a matter of timing, and friendship in the wilderness is a matter of entering. So we spent time on those last week. We won't uh, go back through those today. Uh, but today we're going to look at the final three, uh, three words that can help us finish out this passage. And the first one that we'll, that we'll use is the word strengthening. So, so here we have uh, not just timing and entering as it relates to friendship, but now uh, friendship in the wilderness kind of circumstances. We see that it involves a kind of strengthening. And if you look at the passage, we see this in verse 16, where we read that Jonathan came to David, and in the CSB translation, which I'm reading from, it says that he encouraged him in his faith in God. And that's a great way to conceptually put together what's going on here. Uh, but, but it can help us to get a touch more literal with the text here, because in Hebrew, the verse reads a little more particularly, and that we're told that David, or that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. And that language is noteworthy uh, because this word hand appears a total of nine times in this chapter. In fact, the term appears a total of 119 times in the book of 1 Samuel. So, so with that kind of repetition, we know the author intends for us to notice the way that the word itself is being used. And what we see is that the word hand is used metaphorically as it appears many times in this passage. It serves as a metaphor for a kind of strength and exercise of purpose and plans. So, so for example, to be delivered into the hand of Saul, like, like we read back in verse 7, what would that mean except that David would, would be in the grip of Saul for Saul to do with David as he will. Saul would be able to exercise himself toward David in the way he wanted to exercise himself toward David, which of course was to to kill him. So that's what it would mean for David to be brought into Saul's hand. Um, or, or in verse 4, we have the Lord answering David and telling David that, that he would deliver the Philistines into David's hand. And so what did that mean except that the victory that David would fight for, David's will and purpose in fighting against the Philistines would be granted to him. 
So this metaphor of hand, it reflects strength and purpose and will and these kinds of things. And here we read that Jonathan comes to strengthen David's hand in the Lord. In other words, Jonathan comes to build up David in David's own endurance and purpose and will according to the Lord's design for him. So he comes to lift David up and and, and, uh, promote David's resolve in such a way that he can continue to pursue the Lord's purposes. And that intention on the part of Jonathan to build David up in God's purposes for him, that intention becomes even more clear when we read what Jonathan says to David. So, so we do have the question, how did David strengthen, how did Jonathan strengthen David's hand in the Lord? What did that look like for him to do that kind of work? And that's exactly what's uh, unpacked for us as we continue to read along in the passage. Because in verse 17, we see that Jonathan comes to David and he strengthens his hand by saying a number of different things to David, all of which can be ultimately uh, summarized under, under, under a very specific purpose. And, and so you notice, first of all, that, that Jonathan says to David right away, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So, so Jonathan strengthens David's hand in the Lord by telling David that he does not need to face his wilderness experience in this posture of fear. And we can, we can notice just a couple of things with regard to this. It's noteworthy that when Abiathar, the priest who is on the run from the massacre at Nob, uh, we, we read in the end of, at the end of chapter 22, we read that David is actually the one who said to Abiathar, you don't need to be afraid as long as you're with me. So it's interesting that David himself has been exercising the ministry of encouraging others in the fact that to be with him is to be in a safe place. But just because David has the capacity to offer that kind of encouragement and even display that kind of trust, it's very noteworthy here that that does not mean he is devoid of having that kind of encouragement brought to him as well. And that's just a wonderful picture, isn't it, of, of our own need in the Christian life. We are constantly called to exercise ourselves in the encouragement and the truth that is applied necessarily to others. Here he says to the, the priest, you don't have to be afraid as long as you're with me. But then what do we see David also needing? Well, he needs this person to come into his life and say the same thing. If he's going to be strengthened in his hand, going in the Lord's way, he's going to need that encouragement as well. Don't give up, David. You don't have to be afraid. And, and, and it's actually a fairly amazing thing for Jonathan to say this to David, just given the circumstances that David is in. Because we remember the definition of fear, and we've had occasion to talk about it uh, from time to time throughout these passages, but fear occurs at the intersection of two things, which we've, which we've talked about. It occurs at the intersection of vulnerability and inability. Remember that? So, so fear shows up in our hearts when we face something that's very troubling, and when we can't do anything about that thing that's troubling to us. That's when we start to get afraid. That's, that's when it hits. So, so at first pass, it seems to make no sense at all that Jonathan would say to David, don't fear, because David is living at the exact intersection of vulnerability and inability. He's living in a place of fear. Saul wants David dead, vulnerable. When the king wants you dead, you're a vulnerable, vulnerable person. And Saul's charged his whole army with the task of carrying out that mission. So, so there's inability reflected in that, isn't there? To, to outrun the whole king's army has, has proved to be quite the gargantuan task. That's a, that's a very threatening place to be. And yet still, Jonathan says, do not fear. Which again, at first pass, it just doesn't sound logical. Until we note the nature of the next four things that Jonathan says to David. Then it, then it starts to make sense. So if you're just watching this, you see, do not fear, Jonathan says to him. And why And why is that? Well, verse 17, don't fear because my, my father Saul 
will never lay a hand on you. Do you see the play on the word again? David's hand is strengthened as he's encouraged in the fact that the hand of Saul is not going to be successful against him. So, so there's a, an immediate contrast set up there. And then Jonathan says, you yourself will be king over Israel and I'll be your second in command. And to top it off, Saul knows all this is true. Which is actually something we're going to see by, in, in 2 Samuel 5. I don't know, five years from now when we get there, whatever that may be. But in 2 Samuel 5, we learn when David is finally installed as king over Israel, we read in that passage uh, that all of Israel did know David had been anointed as king, even though so oftentimes they, they acted in ways that, uh, that aligned with Saul. So there's very much this awareness in Israel now that, that the Lord has made David king. Saul, and, and Jonathan just makes that clear to David as well. Saul knows it's true. He knows you're going to be king. So, so we put all this together, though, and, and what is Jonathan saying to David? Well, well, Jonathan is saying to David, don't fear, and then he simply states reasons to not be afraid, which correspond to what God himself has already said about David. You see that connection? Which boils down to this big truth, don't fear David, because why? Well, because you're going to be king. That's what, that's what he's telling him. Even Jonathan's comment here about being David's second in command, that bothers us at first, because if we know the whole story, and that doesn't come about. Jonathan is actually going to die on the battlefield before David ever comes to the throne. But what's noteworthy there is that even in that expression where Jonathan says, I'm second to you, in that expression, Jonathan is making a statement about God's royal purpose for David because by all natural orders, Jonathan is the current heir apparent to the throne and he should be king. So even in Jonathan's statement like this, that in a sense bothers us because it never comes to pass, but really what this is is a confession of David's kingship from the one who, by all natural accounts, deserves the spot. So when we put all this together, we have this very extraordinary emphasis on the fact that David shouldn't fear because Jonathan has come to remind David of the fact that he will be king, the very thing that God himself has already said to David. So, so again, as we put this together, we see this is how Jonathan is strengthening David's hand in the Lord. He's doing this by retelling David what the Lord has already revealed about David. The Lord has anointed David as king. This is God's purpose for you, David. Jonathan comes, and, and he doesn't say anything new. He doesn't have any extraordinary insights. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't say anything fancy. He simply says to David what God has already said about David. Don't be afraid. No, one to, no one's going to kill you. You are, you are God's choicest king. You're going to be king. And as Jonathan does this, we can see what, what an immediate encouragement this is. It's, it's really, at the end of the day, outstanding training for us in our own exercise of friendship toward others. Because how often do we find ourselves uh, maybe, maybe seeking to give support and, and we just don't have the words to say? And sometimes that can be good. Uh, we do know it's the best of friends who can sit quietly in one another's company and be encouraged. That can be, that can be a good thing. But there are other times when being a true friend, being a friend to one another, especially as we think about the friendship we pursue with one another in the church, being a friend to one another in the most gospel of ways often requires that we need to speak. And Jonathan's interaction here helps to give us a framework for that kind of, uh, for that kind of uh, talking. We, we, can, we can come to one another and say, just like Jonathan says here, don't fear because of what God has said about you. So just think about the various contexts in which this, this, can, uh, this can apply to us. Especially as we think about the nature of words 
that come to us in a discouraging setting. So if we find ourselves in the wilderness uh, of our own experiences, what are, what are those words that often come to us? Well, oftentimes those words are not words that lift us up, but they're words that bring us further down, either by somebody who might have the best of intentions and just says something that, uh, that puts us a little further down than we were before, or it can even be our own hearts and minds that start to accuse us. We, we can be in a place where we're not feeling at rest at all, and those words can come saying, well, did you think you deserved any better? Did you think life was going to be any different? After all, don't you remember what your past has been like? And here you are uh, simply dealing with those things that you laid a foundation for a long time ago. It's no wonder you're guilty. It's no wonder you feel condemned. They're ashamed. These things should eat at you. Uh, rightly so, because of all that's gone on in your past. And what do we need in those kind of situations? Well, we need that friend who comes and tells us what God has already said about us in Christ. We need that friend who's willing to come and say, you may be discouraged, you may feel uh, like, you're, like you're not able to engage in ways that you ought to engage, you may feel like you're, uh, you're, not, you're not worthy of, of being loved, you may feel like shame is going to be the final word, but you need to understand what God says about you, and what God says about you is that through the work of Jesus Christ, you are full and you're free and you're forgiven. Through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have an absolutely clean conscience, and the history that would otherwise plague you is actually a history that has been entirely cast outside of the vision of the all-seeing God. He's the one who's removed those transgressions as far as the east is from the west. We read about that from the psalm last week. There is nothing that the Lord will hold over you because of what Christ has done. You are entirely renewed. You are a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need people to come to us at times in our life and simply say to us what God has already said about us. This, this is the work of gospel friendship that we are engaged in. I'm not actually lost in the circumstances I find myself in. I'm not actually stuck here, never able to get past these things that plague me. None of that is true because of who Jesus is for me. And sometimes I just need somebody to come down and sit next to me and remind me of that truth. It's not that we don't believe it. It's not that we don't know it. But those other words can just get so loud. And so this is a wonderful exercise of friendship on the part of Jonathan. He simply comes to David, and he doesn't say anything fancy. He just says, here's what God has already said about you, so you don't need to be afraid. If you feel like things are going to go south, you feel like it might not work out like you want, you feel the reality of danger all around you, that may be the case, but don't forget what God says. Don't forget what God says. And that can be the kind of conversations that we need to have with one another. Those may even be the kind of conversations we need to ask for from one another. We can find ourselves in the fogginess of our own wilderness experiences, knowing truth, the truth is there in our minds, but it's just not percolating, it's just not really worked its way down into our hearts and we're discouraged, we're, we're troubled, all of these things. And we can, we can uh, need to call people into our life who are able to speak this way to us. We need to be able to say to one another, I'm down further than I know I ought to be down, but these things are pressing me in a unique way. I just need you to come and tell me what's true about me in Jesus. And we need to be able to exercise ourselves uh, in these kinds of ways. And so as we think through this passage, that's how, that's how Jonathan comes to David. He comes to him strengthening his hand in the Lord. He comes to him in order that David would understand his purpose and will as God's chosen king is something that he can continue to pursue and should continue to pursue because the Lord is the one who is ultimately sustaining him. And we can need that kind of encouragement ourselves. We come to each other and say what God has already said about us. So we have that word, strengthening. 
Um, and, then, and then if we keep moving through the passage, we move from, again, last week was timing and entering. Now we have strengthening. Uh, fourth, we have the word committing. Committing. Uh, true friendship never exercises a consumeristic mindset. Uh, true friendship is never, I'll put into it as long as I get good return out of it. And we talked about this some last time. But we need to notice that what's highlighted here is Jonathan comes to David. Uh, so something else that's highlighted in the text is this renewed element of commitment in their friendship, which we have there at the beginning of verse 18 when we read that the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. And if we've been reading along in the narrative, we, we almost, I, I found myself even just in, in reading it, I think to myself, really, really again? We're doing that again, guys? Because it seems like every time you get together, you make a covenant. I mean, is that just the thing you guys do together? You like hang out? Have a cup of coffee, make a covenant. It's happening all the time. Right? But, but we have seen that in almost every encounter Jonathan and David have had, we read how they make this covenant together before the Lord. And that covenant language we know is biblical terminology that reflects a kind of loyal commitment, an unbreakable bond that they are determined to keep on sharing together. So, so Jonathan and David have done this on multiple occasions, and, and here they're doing it again simply because they're committing to one another in terms of loyalty and fidelity, and in this, they're committing to their friendship in a way that is sourced in something beyond themselves uh, as, as they ultimately locate the, the root of their relationship, if we can put it that way, in the Lord Himself. When, when, when you're in wilderness circumstances, there's not much else to root your relationship in. But it's really a wonderful picture here because we see uh, that, that, first of all, while Jonathan comes to David to strengthen David's hand in God in the last section, now they're committing to one another, again, in the Lord in this section. So there, there's an obvious emphasis in just these few verses that the ultimate center of friendship for David and Jonathan is the Lord Himself and the Lord's purposes for them. And, and I won't belabor this point because we, we have talked about it on other occasions recently, but we can't miss the fact that what unites us ultimately is people committed to one another in a local church under the friendship banner of the gospel. What unites us is not a shared hobby or a common background or even the same political views. What unites us is our common orientation toward the Lord and His purposes. In so many ways, David and Jonathan couldn't be more opposite. One is in the wilderness, one is living in his dad's house who happens to want David dead. They couldn't be more opposite in so many ways. But there is no greater friendship than the one that's rooted in the fact of God's purposes and truth, which is what we see from them. So, so all the challenges friends face, all the rejoicing, all the sorrow, all future hope, all forgiveness for offenses that friends give, we know that happens, don't we? These are the best of friends that offend us the most. All, all of that is ultimately rooted in God's truth for the Christian believer who's united together with God's people under Christ. This is why we can offer forgiveness. This is why we have hope, all of these things. And we see it again here. The Lord is the center of their renewed commitment to each other. And connected to that, we have to see how extremely functional this truth about commitment really is. Because oftentimes when we go through something difficult with a friend, it's easy to feel as though our relationship, what do we call it? Maybe our relationship equity is all used up. Have you had that experience? So maybe after a season of unique hardship, 
uh, where, where we've received extensive support from our friends, we can start to think that the friendship has been burned out a little bit. That, that friendship equity is, is used up because of our neediness. So the pressure was hard. They were there for us or I was there for them, whatever it might be. It was tiring. It, it was something that led us down dark roads. And now that we've finally gotten through all of that, we just need to have a little distance for a while. Uh, the, the wilderness was a dark place. But we have to see here that that's not what gospel friendship is like at all. And that, and that this amazing friendship between David and Jonathan shows us that at the very center of a very wildernessy experience with threats all around and discomfort and the, the presence of fear, betrayal, all of these kinds of things, it's actually in the middle of the darkest hours and most trying circumstances that they recommit to one another once again like they've always done. So we don't find Jonathan saying to David, well, you know, I came out to see you because I knew you needed some encouragement, but, but, but this was a big one for me. And I think after this, David, I just need to take a little bit of a break from our relationship because quite frankly, it's really draining. I mean, I, I have two, I'm staying two rooms down the hall from dad and he's really angry with you. And so to come out and see you just puts, you know, puts a lot of pressure on things and, and family dinners are really awkward. So, so I'm here now, but I'm not really going to be able to keep this closeness up. I've kind of given all that I can give right now. But that's not what he says. That's not at all what happens. There's no language of, of taking a break until Jonathan can feel better about things or anything like that. What do they do? They make a covenant, which is such a strong lesson for us in what it means to really be committed to one another. Because when we're in the midst of helping somebody or when we're in the midst of being helped, how meaningful is it for somebody to come and say to us, you know, I know we're in the thick of it right now. But whether we're in the thick of it right now or whether we're on the side of it or whether I'm in the thick of it next time, I just want you to know there is nothing you could ever do to stop me from being absolutely committed to you. When we're on the other side of this, I'm going to be absolutely committed to you. In the middle of it now, I'm absolutely committed to you. And we need to be able to speak in those kinds of ways for one another because how encouraging is it for us in the midst of the hardest experiences knowing that this hardship isn't something that disrupts us as friends, but this is actually something that brings us together as friends. This is, this is what we do because of who we are for each other. And again, Jonathan and David's picture is, is wonderful along these lines. Um, there's an author by the name of Drew Hunter, and he, and he makes a comment on friendship. He, he says something that is, that is very applicable here. He, he says, suffering is the great relationship revealer know that to be true. Suffering is a great relationship revealer. We often learn how strong a friendship is when we don't have anything to give. We also find out what kind of friends we are when a friend can't give anything to us, when someone cannot share anything but a burden. So in this passage, David, he has nothing to share with Jonathan but a burden. He offers no advantage to Jonathan as Jonathan comes out to the wilderness. He offers the fear of the wilderness. And in the midst of that burden sharing, they don't distance themselves from each other, but instead they recommit one another uh, to, to a loyal concern for the other. And, and again, what, what a lesson there is for us in this in the body of Christ. Hardship doesn't drive us apart. Hardship proves that what unites us under God is enough to hold us together, even if all we share is a burden. Which, which of course, makes complete sense because we're gospel people. What attaches us to Christ, the cosmic Son of God who calls us friends? What attaches us to Jesus? We actually sang about it earlier in that new song. Nothing I did could ever atone, but Jesus, you paid my debt. Right? 
Our salvation relationship to the Lord Jesus, which unites us corporately and holds us fast individually in the friendship of Christ himself, that is entirely based on the truth that all we have brought to the table is a burden. A burden of sin that Christ took upon himself to love us at the extreme cost of his own life. So, th- so then, what does friendship look like together in the community of Jesus' people? It looks like a commitment that reflects this kind of love. We- we're not convenience friends here. We're committed friends. Because that's what it means to live out the gospel that's first been applied to us. When all we had was a burden, Jesus was our friend. When all that I have is a burden, you be my friend. When all you have is a burden, I'll be your friend. And in that, we'll reflect Christ's own love and commitment to us, no matter how dark the day. So in this passage, friendship, it's a matter of timing. Friendship is a matter of entering. It's a matter of strengthening. And it's a matter of committing. And now, just just one more, Uh, we also see that friendship in the wilderness involves what we'll call comforting, just to stick with the ings, comforting. It it has a comforting effect. Um, And and there's interesting language here in the last line of verse 18, where where we're told, and you see this there, where we're told that after this interaction between David and Jonathan, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home, so they're separating again. And, And there's something to notice in, in putting things together here, because, because in verse 15, do you remember how, again, literally we saw how, how David saw that Saul was out to get him. That was what was emphasized there. Saul's on the hunt for David, again, in kind of a, a, renewed, a renewed, intense way. And when Saul is, is after David, what, what has David always been doing in our narrative? In terms of the, as we think about the verbs that, that have described David so far in this narrative. Well, David's been, he's been escaping, he's been fleeing, he's been going, he's been coming. He's, he's even been, been going from place to place. David is constantly moving in the wilderness. That, that's what's happening in this narrative. Even back in verse 14, when we're told that David stayed in, in the wilderness stronghold. Just even listen to this. David stayed, where did David stay? In a plurality of places. He stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. So so that staying involved moving from place to place, as verse 13 describes. When Saul is out for David, David is running. He's going. And then we get to the end of Jonathan's visit, which comes in that timely way, remember, as David sees Saul is out to get him again. Now, what does David usually do when Saul is out to get him? Well, he's escaping. He's running. He's even going to Gath of the Philistines. He's, he's, He's out of there. But this time, Jonathan comes, encourages David, he, he, lifts up, he lifts up David, and then we read that while Jonathan went home, David remained, full stop. Now just think about that word, remain. David remained, he didn't remain and then go to and fro, fleeing to, from one cave to another, or this wilderness area to another. No, David just remained. Literally, the Hebrew word there is David sat down. Okay. We have to see how unique that is. David sees that Saul is coming. And instead of immediately engaging in the kind of frantic fleeing and moving like he's been doing, Jonathan comes for a visit. He says, don't fear, David. God's word to you still stands. And right there in the wilderness, what does David do? We have this picture of him remaining. He, he sits down, quite literally. It's a posture of rest amid a frantic lifestyle of escape. And David, but David's sitting. He's holding still. The threat is gone. The threat's very real. But David's sitting, he's holding still for a moment because his friend has encouraged him in preserving truth. Don't fear. Saul's not going to get you. God says you'll be king. You're going to be king. 
And so even amid the threat that David is facing, he puts himself in this, he finds himself in this place of rest. And so, and so we can just see that friendship in the wilderness has this effect. It, it's comforting, it's calming. A true exercise of friendship has the effect of bringing us from a sense of, of frantic concern to a place of peace, even though the chaos isn't gone. Friendship brings rest. So, so I, I, mean, I ask myself under the text this week, I ask myself as I ask you, does my friendship bring rest to others? Does your friendship bring rest to others? Does your presence lower the temperature in the room or does it spike it? Does your presence relieve and bring peace? And of course, it's in this that we see something of the ultimate friendship of Jesus because He is the friend who brings rest. Ultimately, He's, he's a better friend even than Jonathan uh, where, where we see how Jonathan, as much as Jonathan personifies this Christ-like friendship, what does Jonathan do? Jonathan leaves again. They're constantly having to separate. In fact, this is the last interaction David and Jonathan will ever have together. Jonathan will go to war. Jonathan will die. This is the last time they're together. Jonathan leaves David. But the Lord Jesus is that friend who brings rest and who never leaves. Which can simply sound like a, a, a spiritual nicety, a, a, a spiritually a sentimental thing to say. Except then we reflect on how, on how this has impacted others, maybe people that we know. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself, he has, he has something to say about this when he writes to Timothy. Timothy, who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul writes to Timothy and talks about a time when he was being persecuted for the gospel. He talks about a very dark time when everybody is deserting him. And then he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Then he goes on to say, and will bring me into his heavenly kingdom. That's how Paul was able to stand. Even though everybody else had left him, the Lord himself stood with him and very much did what Jonathan did for David in the, in the fullest sense. He strengthened him. And what did he do? He gave him a, a very real sense of his future rest that had been promised to him. He will bring me into his heavenly kingdom. I will be okay. And we see that that is what the Lord Jesus does for us in the most real terms as we experience things in the Christian life, even when we can feel very isolated and alone. David prays like that often in the Psalms, I'm lonely and afflicted. He says, when will you come to me? We can have a sense of needing the Lord to be uniquely present with His renewing grace in our life. And as He comes to us with that, He does so in a way to bring us the strength we need to keep going. And He comes to us in a way to grant us the assurance of what has absolutely been guaranteed to us through Jesus, that rest that is eternal. There is nothing ultimately here, that's why Paul can say what he says, that is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can do that. And so we operate from this place, even if it's a place of loneliness in our own isolated uh, conditions that we can, we can face in this life, there is a very real sense in which that isolation is never completely uh, experienced to its full extent for the Christian believer. Because even in the isolation, the Lord is with me. Even though everybody's deserted me, Paul says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You know when the Lord's standing, He's active in the Scriptures. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, Paul said. And so, and so we come to this great example of friendship and we ultimately see that as, as Jonathan kind of presses us forward toward the Lord Jesus and the significance of the kindness He offers to us, that's actually something that we are on the other side of Christ's coming called to emulate in the lives of others. 
Uh, we're called to be this kind of friend. We're called to be the kind of friend who comes into a situation and strengthens our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We come into those relationships not dipping in and out for good days, for bad days. No, we come in committed. And ultimately, we come in and we do this to bring the comfort and grace that Christ brings to us. And so we can appreciate this friendship in the wilderness. You remember this from last week? Saw David that Saul was out to kill him arose Jonathan and went to David. This is who we are for one another because this is who Christ has been to us. He's the one who came to us in our time of need and now we're called to go to one another in these kind of ways that bring support too. And so this passage repays our meditation. It repays our reflection. In what ways can I respond to this and be a more useful friend uh, to people in my life? Be a more useful friend to you? In what ways can you respond to this and be a more useful friend uh, to others, a, a gospel friend who comes uh, with this kind of loving care. We're thankful to God for His Word, which, which reminds us of these things, which are so rich and necessary. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for this truth and ask that we would be renewed in it. We ask that we would be those who express kindness to one another in these unique and even costly ways, knowing that this has been Christ's uh, action toward us. And not only is it His action toward us, but His action that He strengthens us in as we engage with one another. We're thankful that uh, we can love one another in the strength that You do supply, that we're not on our own, but that You're present with us to help us in these things. So we pray, Father, that we would be these kinds of people. We're thankful for the example that's here, and, and we uh, commit ourselves to You for, for these kind of tasks ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.